what if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and, and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? So I'm excited. Welcome to another episode of the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I have today my friend from north of here, Kim Orleski. And Kim is kind of astounding uh, because she is a saleswoman at heart, but also a content creator, a marketer. So she has sort of that business and creative mind all in one. And I was picking her brain actually last time we spoke a little bit about sales and how to get in front of, you know, titans of industry that we all want to chat with, people like Guy Kawasaki or Grant Cardone. Um, So we're going to dive into that. Um, But Kim, I think you're going to like this because I was reading the New York Times this morning and there was an article in there about um, the human attention span and that essentially uh, we now, a study by Microsoft has proven that we as humans actually have a shorter attention span than goldfish. (laughs) I believe this. (laughs) Yeah. So so we went in 2000 from having an attention span of 12 seconds to now having an attention span of eight seconds. And the CEO of Microsoft who put together this study based on all the content that they're able to analyze and how people, how long people look at it, um, said that uh, in the future, we're going to have sort of a, a war or a battle for human attention. And I just thought that is the key to sales, right? It's kind of how do you not only get the attention of humans, but also close them. So with that, I just want to say welcome to the podcast, Kim. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so, so basically like along those lines, what I want to talk about today are all things sales, right? Um, and since you're an author and an expert on how to sell, um, I was curious. Let's start with the thing that fascinated me the most. You know, you have this podcast, right, where you bring on interesting humans, hopefully, and talk to them about how to sell and their story. But you've gotten some big names on there, which to me is one of the most difficult things to sell is getting somebody's time, not just their attention span, but their time. So when you've got, you know, Nathan Chan, Guy Kawasaki, Grant Cardone, what was your secret? How did you do it? <laughs> well, you know, I think the first thing is tenacity, right? Um, tenacity definitely pays. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, you know, I went ahead and went right after those people um, and asked them to be on the show. It was, you know, I had a list of like a hundred people and I was open to anybody saying yes. I just knew that, you know, if I made a hundred asks and I got 10 yeses, uh, I mean, my podcast would be that much better, right? Because I was able to get to that. Um, but the, the big thing in order to, you know, when you actually put that ask together is what's in it for them. Right. And I think that's, you know, the, the biggest thing. And for me, um, it would be wonderful if I already had, you know, numbers of, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, downloads per episode, you know, a John Lee Dumas type of mentality, but I knew I didn't have that. And so I downplayed that aspect, but really went on with the whole, you know, I mean, 
the same things that a lot of people say, you know, you start off with a compliment, right? You know, listen, I've been following you for a little while. I've read, you know, Grant Cardone, I've read 10X. Um, I really loved, you know, this and this about your book. Um, I would love to have, I put the ask in right away, right? I'd love to have you on for a 30 minute podcast interview talking specifically about sales. And, um, and so, you know, and I made it really easy for them as well. I included the, the Zoom link right in there so that if they wanted to book, um, there was none of this back and forth, um, which is actually pretty amazing because that was actually how I got Guy Kawasaki to book. Um, I sent him the email, let's let him know that I was a big fan, I'd been following him, here's the Zoom link, and probably about four days later, I also get a notification saying, guys, booked you in your calendar. I'm like, okay, like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm like, we haven't even had a conversation and now he's already booked in my calendar. Um, so I made the ask really, really easy um, for them to actually take action with that. And then right at the very end, I, I told them a little bit about myself. I didn't want to get too much in there, but I kind of gave them an interest on why they would want to say yes. So it was like, you know what, I'd already interviewed, you know, people like Joe Conrath and, you know, Ryan Blair and, you know, and a few other names. And so they didn't feel like I was completely out there. Um, there's only been a couple instances where I've had people actually ask me like, okay, what's your downloads or what's, you know, what's this and that. Um, but for the most part, when they see those other names, they just feel like, oh, okay, actually she's, she's on par with, with what's going on. And so it was a lot easier for them to say yes. Interesting. I love how specific you are with all of your, your details and how you think about it. Um, <laughs> Because it's funny. So I have, um, you know, I have an intern, Tiffany, who, who actually edits this podcast. So hi, <laughs> Tiffany. And um, I've been working with Tiffany to try to get her a, a gig following college um, because she's an international student. So she has to get a visa, right? And only so many companies will sponsor that. We were just talking this morning about specific asks and how important it is to actually not just ask for a phone call or coffee or time to chat, but to say, I am looking for this and this is why you know it's relevant and this is perhaps how I could help you even in a small way. Um, so I love that. Okay, so, so in that vein, um, you know, you have gotten these big guys to agree to things. And I know you've spoken to thousands of salespeople, let's say, with all of your processes. So what do you find when you're coaching hundreds of salespeople, thousands of salespeople, whatever it is, what do you find are those things like a specific ask that they don't typically do? Like what is the first piece of advice you give to somebody you are sales consulting that they can implement same day? Yeah, I, and I think it really comes down to, you know, being more specific, right? And ensuring that you're actually having a committed follow-up with the person. Uh, we have oftentimes, you know, when people get excited, I, I deal with a lot of like entrepreneurs, small business owners, sales professionals, and oftentimes, you know, they can get past the fear of, you know, making that initial phone call. They can get past the fear of networking, which is a completely different conversation altogether. Mm -hmm. But when they finally get to that point and then they leave it way too vague and open, they're like, okay, well, we should follow up with a coffee someday. And I, that drives me absolutely nuts because someday is never going to happen if we don't actually lock it down in the calendar. When we actually go ahead and we become a little bit more committed uh, with the client, with the prospect, they're more likely to say yes to us. And wouldn't it be better off if they aren't interested? It would be so much better off to actually have them say no up front than to, you know, in the back of our minds, believe that, okay, well, they're a prospect or they're a potential client someday 
day. Um, and we always live on this idea of hope where, you know, we want to deal with the people that actually want to work with us, not the ones that we necessarily feel that they need to work with us in a future state. So, so my biggest piece of advice for anybody is if you are asking anybody for coffee, if you're asking anybody for a meeting request, get that in the calendar right away. Like everyone has their smartphones nowadays. There's no reason why, you know, if you're in a networking function and you actually have a great conversation, why you both can't pull out your phones and actually book a time in a calendar right then and there. And then at least you have that committed, uh, committed next step so you can actually move a sales cycle forward. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, there's two things that I wanted to pull out there. So you talk about one thing, which is predisposition of somebody to do business with you or finding the people who are actually aligned with what you want. And I talk about that a lot with my team. And, you know, in my business, it's pretty straightforward. You can see kind of like four characteristics that typically somebody has that's going to do business with me. And it's really hard as a salesperson to kick out somebody who could be a huge opportunity, have all this money, they're just, you know, they just are, want to give me their money in my head, but then they don't get these four characteristics and like, you know, bucketing them out. So do you, do you have a process like that that you work your clients through? Like how do you decide or tell if a client doesn't want to do business with you? What if you can't get the no? What if they kind of engage? How do you filter? You, you definitely have to push your prospects and your clients uh, a little bit more, right? And I think that's the biggest fear a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, small, small business people have, is that they're too afraid to push too far because they are so afraid of getting that no. Because once that no happens, then it's like, you know, the dream is done. Um, but it's better off to, to kind of get that. So, I mean, you know, you have to understand, you know, what are you specifically looking for? Um, if you're dealing with business to business, I mean, one of the biggest things is like, are you the decision maker, right? Is this, I mean, that's one of the biggest questions that we have to ask, right? Because oftentimes you could be wasting your time with somebody who at the end of the day isn't signing the contract or isn't writing the check. And you need to get yourself in front of the person that's going to make the decision at some point. Um, the other portion is, you know, I mean, we need to be able to, to understand, you know, how is this a fit? And we have to be honest with our clients about this. Um, you know, is, are, is it going to work within their implementation schedule, right? And I love working with timelines. Um, when you actually draw out a timeline for a client and they're actually able to see okay well you know we start now you know the project's going to be six months out and all of a sudden you're telling them that you're, you know you're april may june out lights and uh light bulbs start going off in their head right because then you can really push that sense of urgency it's like okay well now mr customer now that you know that we're going to start a project today that's going to take six months to really implement see like you know actionable results where do you want to be by august september Right. And now you're actually being able to push that sales cycle a little bit forward. Um, if they are all of a sudden telling you, oh, actually, that's not going to work for me. You have the ability to manipulate the time schedule a little bit and give them that sense of urgency. Um, you know, but yeah, you need to you need to ask them the questions that uh, not necessarily are going to leave them saying no. But if it is going to be a no, you would rather get it well up front than waste your time for the next three months. Um, because in three months, you can always follow up with them and re-engage the sales cycle as opposed to drawing out the entire process and then know that, you know, something has changed, right? I mean, they don't have the budget that they currently do, right? They're not, you know, they're not looking at the same social media campaigns that they currently are. Whatever that is, uh, you want to get that information as quickly and as like painfully up front so that you can just move on. Yeah, I love it. So what do you think, what percentage of salespeople you work with actually ask those filtering questions? Like, are you the decision maker? <laughs> you know, at the, when I first work with them, probably very, very few. Right? Yeah, I always wonder. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, they, the very few of them ask, like ask those questions, right? And they're, they're so important. I mean, you know, you have to know what does your time schedule look like, right? What, who is the decision maker? Um, you know, is this even going to work in your budget, right? You know, you, sometimes you have to throw like, you know, big numbers right up front. Um, I, I never want to, you know, say, you know, you're giving numbers, you know, too far in advance. You want to build a business case. But if the person tells you that they have a budget of a few thousand dollars and you know that your solution is going to be in like 30,000, 40,000, you know, plus, um, you have to be able to have that conversation up front. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. And so, you know, I think afterwards, when people start to realize that these questions are actually helping them close more deals, they're actually helping them find the prospects that are actually going to work with them, people start to really embrace this, right? But it is that fear initially, because, you know, we think, well, I don't want to, I don't want somebody to say no to me, because they could be a potential client. It's like, yeah, but if they didn't have the budget, if they're not the actual person that signs a contract, they never were going to be your client, right? You're just, you're wasting your time chatting with somebody that's never going to buy, right? You better off finding, you know, then taking all that time and opportunity prospect to find somebody who actually fil filters your categories, and then you can actually bring them in and engage them faster and sooner and sell more quickly. Yeah. I think it's operating from a perspective of abundance too, right? Not mm -hmm. fear at there being yeah. this one client and this small market and there's only so many people who can do business with me <laughs> instead operating from a, a point of view, which I think is true for most businesses and that there are too many clients and prospects. Yeah. And so I don't have time to sell to all of them. Yeah. Um, I got to find the ones that are most likely to close now. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Now, what about, I'm a sucker for an app or a tool or resources when it comes to sale, because I really believe what gets measured gets managed. And so yes. anytime I can't measure or track a process, I, I am, I am a goldfish, so I get distracted. <laughs> so what tools or resources do you share with sales teams to manage pipelines or to-do lists or projects? Yeah, I mean, if you don't currently have, I don't care where you are in, in any type of organization, if you don't currently have an effective CRM tool, customer relationship management tool, that is your first thing that you absolutely have to get. And, you know, even if you are a bootstrapping entrepreneur and you're having to use an Excel spreadsheet, um, use that. But there were some really effective ones for free out there. Um, and depending on where your budget is, um, you know, you can get everything from, you know, Infusionsoft all the way to, you know, Salesforce or something else like that. Um, but I also want to emphasize effective because it's one thing to actually put in the contact information and everything. And it's another thing to actually, you know, use it in the right way where you're actually keeping notes on the clients, the conversations, you're attaching files, contracts, you know, any other types of information that you have. Um, and also putting task management in there, right? Where, you know, you know that you need to follow up with, you know, I mean, at minimum, you should be following up with all your clients, like on a three month to six month basis, even if they're kind of like, you know, dead in the water, you haven't, you know, you've had the conversation, they've kind of left off. Book yourself in, you know, once a month to, you know, call up these people that you haven't engaged with in the last like three to six months and have a conversation because things happen so fast and things change so quickly that they might have not been a prospect at one point. And all of a sudden, you know, you'll call them up. They're like, oh yeah, actually we just bought out another company and now this is what we're looking for. Um, whatever that looks like, right? So that you're constantly keeping the engagement up. You're not having to constantly hunt and cold call, right? You have all these warm leads. So you have to use your customer relationship 
relationship management tool effectively mm -hmm. um, in order to be able to task manage, handle your, your calendar, and really stick to that. You have to be diligent about knowing that you, your cold calling times are you know first thing in the morning, last thing of the day. Your in-person conversations have to be in the middle of the day. Um, and if you want to do any type of learning or anything, that's your lunch hours, right? And you have to spend your time you know, building yourself out like that because you want to be as effective as the people that you're trying to touch point with. Interesting. And what about, you know, I, the effective use of CRM is such a brilliant point because, <laughs> because for, you know, I've had a few ones at different businesses. Um, and what I found is I, we don't have it perfectly right, but we have to have a project management tool and like a to-do listy tool, which I use Asana for that. Yeah. So I was just talking to another entrepreneur friend of mine today, um, Z, who runs a big manufacturing company in Chicago, and he uses Slack and is obsessed with it. Um, I haven't used Slack before, but I love the idea of these new nimble project management and task related um, apps paired with a CRM. We use a proprietary CRM and it's a nightmare. So, so um, I can relate to this idea of, of simplicity and um, actually incorporating it near every day in a big way. So, so what do you think in your experience, I'm sure you've dealt with clients that have used all across the board. What have you seen be the most, I don't know, effective setup of tools? Like if Kim was going to go out and create a sales team right now, yeah. what tech would you use? Yeah, I mean, I would use, um, I mean, number one, everything has to be on the cloud, right? Yeah. If you have anything that's downloaded onto a computer or anything that needs to be, um, you know, logged in from a very specific device, get rid of it. Um, because, you know, we want to give our sales teams flexibility. We want to give, you know, all of our business owners and everybody, we want to give them flexibility and the ability to be able to stay in contact with people right across the board. Uh, we're becoming more global as well, right? I mean, you know, I know for my team, I mean, I have a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines. We have a few people locally. Um, and then we have a few people that, you know, we outsource, you know, in various states or, you know, different, you know, Canadian provinces or whatever else this looks like. Um, so we use, we use Slack for communication, mm -hmm. uh, which has actually saved us a ton of, um, of email uh, space, right? Because we can send quick messages back and forth. Um, we have it integrated with both Google Drive um, as mm -hmm. well as Asana as well for some of our project management tools. Um, we've moved everything to a Gmail platform, um, you know, whereas a lot of oftentimes when you set up your, your web hosting, um, you actually have to use like a webmail browser um, and it's usually like integrated with Outlook. We've moved everything to Gmail. And so people are able, we now share everything via Google Drive for all of our documents mm -hmm. um, as well. And so everyone has shared folders so that we can all access, you know, contracts, we can ask, access um, stock photos, whatever that is, right? To keep people up, um, up and constantly going. And then we also use Infusionsoft for our customer management tool. Mm. And, um, for a lot of people, uh, you know, for especially entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's a very, um, it's not the cheapest solution out there, but it is the most integrated, right? Mm. And you are able to, you know, constantly tag, you can constantly, um, you know, keep your contacts up to date. I have so many automated campaigns that go on when a person signs up for a webinar, I can see whether they bought or whether they haven't. And they're sent through different email sequences all mm. the way through through. 
And so I'm constantly keeping myself and my employees engaged, uh, or sorry, my clients engaged without me actually having to do any of the legwork. And then besides that, we also use things like Canva, um, which are great for any of your your tools. Uh, we use Hootsuite um, to, you know, automate all of our social media. I'm a huge fan of anything that's automated. Um, so, you know, I mean, you copy paste, you know, start using, creating templates, right? I mean, we have templates created in Canva now for us mm -hmm. um, so that we can just, you know, if we have to create a one pager for a brand new online course that we're launching, we only have to go in and change maybe a couple colors and, you know, some of the content, but everything else like has that same look feel, um, you know, with a slight mm -hmm. difference to it. That's brilliant. Really smart. Um, we use a lot of the same tools, but I think the, I haven't used Infusionsoft. We use Zoho for, my, for the CS business yeah. and then the proprietary one. But the problem with proprietary systems, in my opinion, is they get dated so quickly. The second <laughs> you build them, yeah. they're outdated. Um, but I'm going to have to try this Canva thing. And I'll link all of these in the show notes um, yeah. as well as Kim, Kim's contact information, obviously. Okay, talk to me about this. So this is a hard industry that you've broken into, being a sales expert, right? There's a lot of people, we've talked about this. There's a lot of yes. people out there talking about how to do sales, um, how it works, and maybe they haven't actually set up their own sales process or haven't actually built a team before, but you have. So yes. tell me about how did you get into this space? And what do you think you do different and bring to the table different than a lot of the other people out there talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, my whole sales career kind of uh, more or less fell on my lap. I, I graduated university with a degree of finance and I thought I was going to sit in front of Excel spreadsheets all day. And uh, when I was job hunting, all of a sudden, you know, Xerox had approached me and said, you know what, we want you to work for us. And I thought after reading Guy or, um, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was like, okay, you know what, if Xerox is going to say, you know, they want to hire me, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And um, it was such a struggle at the very beginning because I really fought it. I, I would sit there crying at my desk because I would, you know, wanted so bad to my customers to understand. And it wasn't until I started making a shift and realizing it wasn't my job to make my customers understand. It was my job to have, like, understand my customers and what their challenges and what their needs mm -hmm. are. And so after I made that shift, all of a sudden my sales career really started taking off and I, you know, ended up working on my ranks and I worked for a couple other companies like American Express and everything. And nine years into the, the whole process, I mean, selling from everything from entrepreneurs to international conglomerate CEOs, uh, you know, presenting in front of board members, um, I decided that I was ready for something different. And it was a world trip that I had taken on for six months, you know, traveling by myself, backpacking. And when I came back, I thought, there's so many wonderful people out there that actually they're passionate about what they do but they don't know how to actually communicate with their customers. They don't know how to actually ask the right questions and have those engagements, right? We often run into like, we call it the, the product service purge, right? Where we meet somebody and we go, ah. oh, dad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we tell them everything that we do and oh, here's the price and everything and let's go for a coffee. And the person's like, okay, whoa, just back off, right? I mean, you know, it's, we, we forget that, the, you know, a sales cycle is a dating dance, right? Where we actually take a little bit of time you know we, we don't you know propose marriage right off the first date right we we give them a little bit of opportunity we show them who we are uh, so you know what I do differently you know so I decided I was going to do this for myself but I also wanted to either with the intention of helping you know 
entrepreneurs, small business owners, and really sales professionals, um, brand new teams type of thing, right? Where somebody had just hired, like, in a way, their first two uh, sales reps. And they're like, okay, well, now how do I do this? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I wanted to come in with, with something a little bit different. Um, number one, I mean, being a sales expert, a female sales expert is kind of an odd thing. Um, there's a few of us out there, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. And I mean, I love, you know, big shout out to like Jill Conrath, um, who's probably one of the biggest female names out there in terms of sales experts. But, um, but that's it, right? I mean, oftentimes sales is very much a man's game, right? You have to like have this, you know, machismo, like <laughs> you're like just bravado, right? Yeah, I see it. It, it's, it's this, um, you know, the, the boiler room type of mentality. And don't get me wrong. I mean, when I was in the corporate field, I was definitely there, but now switching over to this kind of entrepreneurial space, there's a lot more of the heart center and it's a lot more of about the story. It's a mm. lot more about taking people on the journey, which was something that I loved and so that's kind of where I I really focus a lot more on is how do you take your clients on a journey so that they become you know a raging fan before they've even bought from you I mean you know nowadays you're seeing more and more of this where where people are you know so excited to work with your product and service before they've even actually had the opportunity to see you and we know this through social media I mean you'll have you know hundreds of thousands of Facebook followers you know, and maybe only 10% of them are actual fat, like actual customers right now, because people are testing you out, right? They want to see, you know, are you actually going to give me the value that I thought I am? Um, so it is about, you know, kind of creating that engagement and that value proposition upfront early on consistently all the way through. Interesting. And what do you think? So when you're doing this storytelling as sales, let's call it or sales storytelling, um, what how is it different from what you talked about? So that product purge or the traditional sales model or the, you know, drip, 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 just pleasantly persistent. How is it different when you story tell sell? Yeah. So, I mean, story tell sell is, um, is a little bit more on who you are as a person or who you are as a company, right? You have to, if you're working for an organization, your, your brand has to be personified. And so you have to tell a lot more of that story, um, involved with it. Um, but then it becomes more solution focused, right? We're not actually, you know, we're not selling widgets, right? We're not going ahead and selling, um, you know, like let's say windows squeegees, right? Like that's, that's not what we're actually selling we're selling clean windows, right? We're selling, you know, views out into vistas, right? And that's, you know, when you actually take people right to the very end and you're showing them what this ideal situation will look like for them, right? What this blissful state will be, um, it's easier for them to understand how your product or service is going to get them there as opposed to talking about, you know, all, all the features and benefits of a window squeegee, right? <laughs> you know, people don't yep. care, right? <laughs> they, they, they do want to see, you know, when you talk about, oh, well, you know, you'll be able to see your Vista every day, um, you know, it'll be so clean and beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, oh, yeah, that totally is what I want, right? And so we have to focus a lot more on that end game. We focus on, you know, that ideal state. And then, you know, the product or service is the, the crutch to get us there. Interesting. And what about, you know, you talked about this in the beginning, but so if you, if we move sort of in the sales process to, you know, it sounds like kind of, you know, knowing yourself as a, a firm or a salesperson and, um, you know, then knowing the end customer, those specific questions that we have to ask and having a process for kind of capturing that data and following up with them. Um, then 
where does the fear like that you talked about fit in? Where does getting over the fear and making the calls that you have to make and reaching out to the people you have to reach out to? Is that the first thing you talk about with a prospect or a client or a consultant? Um, or do you talk more about the quantitative things that they need to do? Um, a little bit of both. Right? I, I don't think you can have one without the other. Right. Yeah. And, you know, most sales should be emotionally driven. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we do think on logic, but in the end of the day, I mean, we all, we we're so emotionally driven as as creatures, right? We want it because we want status, right? We want, you know, elitism. We want, you know, to be rich. We want to be less, um, you know, less fearful. We want to whatever that is, right? Everything has to be driven off, off emotion. And so when I go ahead and I talk to a client, um, you know, at the very beginning, about losing that fear, right? About being more comfortable, you know, actually having fun with a, a cold call conversation, right? And making that sound like really exciting. Um, you know, they start to, they get excited about that. The fear will always be there because every time we move in the steps, right? We, we revert back, right? Uh, you know, we become too afraid to ask certain questions. We become too afraid to pick up that phone initially. Um, but we move past that because we look at, well, what will I potentially get if I can move past that fear? fear. Um, and then we kind of go into the quantitative side of it, right? You know, I, I always work with the with the numbers reverse engineer, right? Where do you want to be as an organization, right? Do you want to be hitting, you know, six digits, seven digits, whatever that looks like, uh, which means, you know, what's your average sale? Uh, you know, how many people do you have to actually contact in order to get to that number? And we break it down into really bite-sized pieces. Um, things such as like weekly goals, which means that, you know what, you have to, Mr. Customer, you have to actually contact uh, 20 new people every single week, right? And so that sometimes seems like a big number, but you're like, you know what, if you can spend, you know, the next like all week, you know, calling like, you know, three to four people every single day. Is that doable? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, actually it is. And it's like, okay, like that is the first thing you have to do. You have to eat the frog. You call those four or five people every single morning, right? Get it out of the way uh, because you're going to get better at those conversations, right? And then, you know, and as you become more comfortable with it, we lose the fear, right? We have to remember that, you know, we learn these skills like anything else. I mean, nobody, you know, sits in front of a piano the very first time and is ready to play, you know, as a, at a concert hall, right? I mean, you know, it's fear inducing, right? And so, you know, we have to practice, 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 and then we get past that. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in the start each day. I think we talked about this before with something that that you don't want to do or that scares yeah. you, one of the two. Um, and it's a beautiful thing because then by the end of the day, it's like you build up this courage and positivity throughout the day. I really think that, you know, one day we're going to look back and be amazed at what happens uh, on an energy level when you yeah. do something that scares you early and when you do something that you really don't want to do early. Yeah. Um, it's that balance with the, the meditation and space too. So, so, this is something that I'm fascinated with lately. Um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that reach out to me and want to talk about building businesses, um, and I don't talk exclusively about sales, but I do think cash flow is king. If you're not making money, nothing else really matters. Um, but th they are really fixated by the social media phenomenon right now and getting sales through social yeah. and, you know, SEO and, you know, oh, it's all about hashtags and like whatever it is. And they really think that their business is going to be made profitable through social media. And I just struggle with that because I think at a base level, like you have to go out and bring in business. And I think sometimes the old fashioned way is 
like most likely the best way initially, and then perhaps social follows. But maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. Like, what do you think? <laughs> social versus in person. What do you see? I, you know what? I, I think social has a time and a place, and it is important depending on how you're building your brand. But it's not the be all end all, and it's never. It will never get you the sales that you absolutely need to do. I mean, at the end of the day, two guys with a cell phone and a pickup truck can build a company to like $100,000 within a couple months where somebody else is sitting there trying to build, you know, the, the perfect looking Facebook page, right? It's just, <laughs> it's so ridiculous, right? I mean, conversations and sales are made, you know, by extending your hand, by networking with people. And I mean, you know, you have to start with your local geography first, no matter what that looks like. You could build a global brand, absolutely. But that starts to, you know, create reverberations because you're actually creating local connections or, you know, at least having, you know, in-person conversations. I mean, you and I, I mean, you know, we're, we're not in the same geography, but we've actually had a proper conversation. And I tell people, I'm like, you know, a 15 minute phone call is going to get you far further than, you know, seven or eight emails back and forth, right? I mean, you're going to just be able to connect with somebody. Um, so I always look at, you know, I mean, social media marketing, and all those other pieces, those are going to get you 2% of your sales. Mm -hmm. And the other 98% is going to come from in-person contact. And we already know this. This is a statistic that is actually out there because social media is only considered that first touch point. And it doesn't matter how many times they see your, your Instagram posts or your Twitter tweets. That um, never really gets you additional touch points until you've actually had them engaged in, you know, whether that is a webinar, whether that is actually connecting with them, you know, for a coffee date, a Zoom call, um, you know, or a networking event, whatever that looks like. And that's how things are actually going to start to funnel for you. You and start to snowball so you can actually get the sales that you need. That's fantastic. I'm stealing that uh, statistic. For sure. <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really easy. You know, I was just talking last week to um, a young woman who uh, runs a company that, how can I say this without giving away? She, she runs a creative company. And um, she was, when she sat down with me, actually two, two young women had the same uh, chat with me last week. And um, she wanted to sit down and talk, you know, talk through her ideas on building the business. And she wasn't getting the sales that she wanted. She's very talented creatively. Product's beautiful. Um, and I said, okay, well, walk me through a typical day and then walk me through a typical week. And, and when you time block and analyze where you're spending your time, where are you spending your time? And as she started to explain it to me, I was like, so blog posting and SEO and social media and e mass email marketing campaigns. Like I just don't think that that actually gets people the business that they want to. And the single thing that's changed the game for me is reaching out one-on-one -on -one to humans I find interesting that have skills that I think I would benefit from or that are in an industry um, or are a part of my client base. Um, and, and that simple thing of meeting like one new person, if I can, every single week has changed the game. Oh, absolutely. Right. You, you have to, you have to be out there and you have to be meeting people. You have to be having conversations with people because you're never going to get the sales that you need um, with these, you know, slow, passive, you know, approaches. Right. And you know, people want to deal with people that actually want their business. Right. You know, I mean, you don't go ahead and buy a car based on checking things out on a website. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's the initial touch point, but you still have to go in there. You still meet with somebody who's actually going to sell you the car. You test drive the car car 
And I mean, there's still opportunities where, you know, you're actually going to meet the, you know, the salesperson. You're going to be like, actually, I don't like that guy. So I'm going to go to another dealership. And so, I mean, that kind of stuff happens, right? And, you know, we, we look at this from our own perspective, but we forget that our clients and our prospects and our customers are looking at it through that same lens, right? They want to deal with people that are actually actively engaged in our business in, you know, understanding what our challenges are and, you know, helping us get to that solution. So if you were going to leave the people listening today with like sort of the one thing that if they want to increase their sales, you've seen most apply across your clients, what, what is that one thing? You know what? It would be um, go and make a really big ask, right? Do it. You know, I mean, we talked about this, you know, already a little bit, uh, but, you know, kind of at the end of every week, you know, I mean, put down, make a list of like three people that you would love to contact, right? Whether that is businesses, um, in, maybe you get to a point where you're completely drained and you're not really sure. Um, so you decide, you know what? I'm going to go to this networking event or I'm going to do this. Um, but go out and, and make these massive asks because it builds momentum for you and your business in order to build it. Um, and we're not talking about partnerships right we're, we're actually talking about you know creating you know customer revenue engagement right you know where you're actually you know going out and you know committing to somebody for a coffee because you want to show them you know you want to understand you want to understand about them and their business right not that you want to show them your product or service but you want to get to know them and by doing that you're going to start to you're going to start to see everything snowball a lot faster I love it. So massive asks build momentum. That's a good one. So um, if people want to find you, where is the best places to find the sales? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can go check out my website, which is kimorleski.com. I'm on all the social media channels. So it's all this, just find my name. And that's yeah, it. at Kim Orleski and it's O-R-L-E-S-K-Y. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I would say she has a fantastic podcast too. I would definitely check it out. I'm stealing some of her sales ideas. And then you're doing webinars now, right? Yes. Yes. So I am, uh, you know, well, I mean, you know, full disclosure for your audience, right? I'll be kind of going on a partial mat leave pretty soon here. Yeah. <laughs> so there'll be a few things that are making a baby in the oven. <laughs> yeah. So there'll be a few things that are going to be um, just kind of put on hold for a little while, but then there's other projects that I'm actually really moving forward with. Um, so I I have a webinar called How to Cold Call Fearlessly and Make Sales. Um, and I have another one coming up um, in the next little while, uh, which is 90 Days to Results, um, which is actually going to help you develop a proper sales funnel um, and a process to actually get you the most amount of revenue in the shortest amount of time. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I was really lucky in my career, having trained at a lot of big companies like you did at Xerox yeah. and Amex, getting this sort of sales training early. Um, but if I hadn't had that, uh, I, I don't know if, if I could have built businesses. Like having somebody else be the expert and be able to steal the advice that you accumulated over decades instead yeah. of having to spend decades doing it yourself is, is a big deal. Ooh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, make sure you check out Kim's podcast and her website and check out some of the webinars. And Kim, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time again. <laughs>